Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? I am doing well. I'm getting over a cold, but I think I'm over it, and that game helped. The mm-hmm. Oilers won by, did you call it a billimeter? That, yeah, <laughs> that billimeter. was the difference in that f- first period uh, goal being offside or not offside. And that was a key point in the game. The Oilers were up one nothing, and their video uh, video coach caught that billimeter um, mistake by the LA King being offside. And fortunately, the goal was called back because that could have been a completely different game, Bruce. Oh, sure. That goal had not been called back. As it was, the Oilers won a very, very, very hard-fought game over a hated rival, Dustin Brown and the LA Kings. 2-1 victory. The Oilers had 11 grade-A chances to 9 for the Kings. This was a close game. Uh, and a very, I found it a really, enti- a really interesting game. I thought the Oilers were going to win all along, but uh, they had to battle extremely hard. So we're going to do our two good things. Two bad things and two numbers podcast. And because it's an Oilers win, we're going to go with two good things each, as has become our custom, Bruce. It's a good custom. Yeah. Yeah. It's always nice to talk a little longer about a win or at least be a little bit more positive about a win. Have we ever done one good thing and one good bad thing isn't a very fair balance for the actual type of game that it is. So. Yeah, two to two to one. I mean, that's that matches the score card, and that's basically all the NHL tonight. Two to one, two to one, two to one, two to nothing. Mm-hmm. Very low scoring games all across the league tonight. Have we ever done two bad things? I think we have. Yeah, we have. All right. Okay. What's your first? We actually good thing? one time we did forty bad things, but we didn't actually <laughs> number them as we went along. But <laughs> I think that was fairly recent. It was. Okay. Okay. What's your first good thing? Uh, well, it's got to be Mikko Koskinen. Uh, yeah. What a bounce back performance by the by the big man who uh, who had a very uh, poor showing in his last outing on Wednesday against Ottawa, allowing two very bad goals and uh, uh, and getting blown out uh, and the first time all year where he didn't finish a game. And Dave Tippett, as he did with Mike Smith earlier. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, after Smith got bounced in the game in L.A., he came right back with the next game, and Smith delivered a big performance and a win in Vegas. And this time around, Koskinen, he was the difference, man. I mean, that, that game, uh, Oilers would not have won that game with average goaltending. Austin and, Wagner, man, he's going to oh, be... Uh, poor Austin Wagner. He's going to be seeing, like, a, a three-meter goalie in his dreams. The three-meter man. <laughs> <laughs> he was just swallowing up pucks. I mean, I guess you could say on the and you probably did say that on the one they scored was a bit of a bad rebound. Yeah. But boy, did he make a lot of good saves on the, along the way, and and uh, he really calmed things down. I thought the Oilers were a little bit um, uh, anxious in their own zone, and Koskinen did hold and freeze a. a a few pucks to try and calm down the flow of play. It would have worked better if the Oilers could ever win a face-off in their own zone, but uh, we'll talk about that in a bit. But uh, yeah, they no. were they were uh, uh, they were playing hang-on Harvey hockey for uh, a large part of the back 
back portion of the game and uh, having the big stopper in there, reliable stopper behind him was uh, a big part of it. Not right down to, you know, stopping a deflection from the goal mouth with like four or five seconds to go in regulation. I mean, that's, that's not really what you want to be seeing as a fan, but I mean, you do want to be seeing the save obviously, but uh, the chance was uh, maybe eight or nine bells, maybe not the full 10, but uh, was uh Dangerous enough for the situation it was. And Dustin Brown just absolutely oh. tagged that one-timer shot. Like, it, it was that kind was of on the edge. Rocket. Kind of the, on the edge of the scoring chance zone. But when you look at it, it's oh. like, whoa, that was a major, yeah, major that's, scoring that's, chance. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he got all of it, and he put it right inside the far corner, and Kosman had to do the full six-foot-seven stretch to get the outside edge of his blocker on that one. That was a great save. And... Uh, Correctly identified by Louis DeBrusque, I think, as possibly his best save of the night. This was at a point where the Oilers were reeling a little bit. You know, they'd just given up the 2-1 goal a couple minutes before, and there was still like four minutes left. And nothing was in the bag at that point. And uh, uh, that, was a, that was a huge, huge save in the scheme of things. Sure was. Sure was. The three-meter man. What a great nickname, eh? That's from <laughs> Finland, isn't it? Yeah, just they, imagine... they actually call him that. Just imagine how comforting that would be to have the three-meter man in net when he's playing well, as he has played in about nine out of ten or eight out of ten games this year, or, you know, four yeah, out of five of his starts. Just good. just having that, like, you look there and there's this, the biggest or one of the biggest goals in the NHL, like, and he's he's just a wall. There's nothing to shoot at, and his glove hand has been good enough this year. He made a number of good saves. Um, on the glove hand, although there was the one mistake. All right, um, my good thing will be Chris Russell. Bruce, I thought he he had maybe the best defensive D-man game of the year that I've seen from an Oilers defenseman this year. It was just the the sum total of all the little battles that he won, which I noticed all game long, mm-hmm. including one in the first period where the Oilers, Larson... He Larson had another. He had a good game, Adam Larson, as it went he along. Did. But he had an iffy game, I thought, in the first, handling the puck. And on that shift, he had made a few bumbles. I think maybe he had iced, iced the puck. Anyway, they were they were trapped in the zone, in the Oilers zone, and it was looking bad. Russell wins a battle and gets it out of the zone and draws a penalty, which wow. leads to the first power play and the first power play goal. And that was indicative of his entire night, just winning battle after battle after battle. Bruce, he is the most underrated Edmonton Oilers player easily all he does is stop the other team from scoring goals and um tonight he was just fantastic he really was i I, we are going to miss this player he's he's never been properly appreciated we are going to miss this player when he's no longer on the team because he can he his defensive play is so strong and when he's on the left side he's not such a terrible player moving the puck either is he? he like you don't see He's not forced in those backhanded passes up the boards three or four times a game. And that just makes him that much more effective a hockey player. Yeah, although tonight I noticed that he did play a few shifts on his right side in the third period. They uh, they really curtailed uh, Joel Pearson's ice time in the yes, third they frame. Yeah. He only played a little over two minutes. And I noticed Russell taking a couple of extra shifts playing the right side with Clefbaum. And, of course, um, uh, anytime the Oilers get into an odd man scenario on the defense and somebody has to play both sides, Chris Russell's the man. And he's got so much experience at both positions. And, I mean, to me, it's a positive to have that to have that somewhere in your bag. you got to have it as a coach. And 
while he's a player takes his share of abuse and then some, I think that's an understatement. Um, I think his versatility is is in some ways, you know, something the coach has got to have, and his confidence and in in, uh, in having a guy that he can switch back and forth from shift to shift in a you know in a five man rotation situation. You know, everybody switches partners in that scenario, but uh, only one guy has to switch sides. And the uh, automatic choice for that is going to be Chris Russell every time. I bet you the coaches love having Chris Russell on their team. I bet they do too. Yeah, I bet you if you interviewed McClellan and Hitchcock and now Tippett, they'd all, all say that. So anyway, we won't get into all the criticism about him because it's just like, like neither here nor there. And um, it, Well, a lot of the criticisms of his contract, but I think the the... the the undervaluing of him as a player is, uh, I don't think it's right. You know, like yeah. he's not everybody's cup of tea in terms of the style of play he is, but man, he, he defends like a demon around the tough areas in his own zone. Like there's almost no such thing as a uncontested shot on his, uh, on his watch. Alrighty. What is your, what is your second good thing? Well, I got to go with the other thing that won the artists of the game, which is their power play. Two power plays in the first period, and I think they said it took them 52 seconds to put two pucks in the net. Uh, first one, they got a little bit of a lucky bounce off of uh, Drew Dowdy's skate, but uh, it was a forced bounce. First of all, by Edmonton absolutely pouring on the pressure for the entire power play and setting up one play after another after another. And finally, uh, Drysaddle tried to whiz a cross-ice pass to... Uh, chase on at the far point and Doughty decided he better stick his foot in the way to intercept it and he intercepted it right into his own net you know in soccer Leon wouldn't have got credit for that goal Doughty would have would have been own goal Drew Doughty uh, maybe maybe not well, sometimes the shot wasn't on the net until it hit him and that's how they oh, roll okay. it in soccer anyway uh, Leon will take the goal and then the second power play was almost ridiculously easy just win the face off you know put, cycle the puck a couple times and get it over to the McDavid and boom, uh, set up chase on for the tap in and chase on to his credit. He uh, not only got his, what I call his rubber stick on that shot, but he got his foot behind the stick and he got enough, you know, he got enough on it that he was able to put it in the net. I've been seeing so many pucks going right through chase on stick lately. Like he, he, uh, maybe that's why he had he's in the now. right position and He's smart, you know. He play, he plays. Yeah. He can't skate, but he gets in the good positions and he does good things. And but what his hands or his stick let him down a lot of times, and he's uh, he's really been having 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 trouble uh, controlling the the puck. But uh, he controlled that one from about one foot out into the net, and uh, that stood up as a game winner for Alex Jason who wound up with a golden assist on the night. You know, that first power play, Bruce, they had five grade-A chances in 30, <laughs> 35 seconds. Like, they went to town. They were dissecting the LA yeah. Kings. Like, they, that was as bru- that was as deadly as that power play has looked all year <laughs> long. I mean, it was just, that was just, we are going for it. We are scoring a goal. And both McDavid and Dreisaitl came out with their feet flying tonight. They they were both determined to win this game. And, and when you see that, I think that's... Like with with every team, there's kind of tells of when they're going to be on the game and when they're not going to be on the game. And 2016-17, I thought the tells were if Maroon, Cassian, or Lucic had a huge hit in right. the first period. That was one of the signs that this team was going to win. This year, it seems like if McDavid and Dreisaitl both have their feet going, 
uh, early in the game. Good luck to other guys. Yeah. yeah, good luck to the other guys. Okay, my um, other good thing was the Oilers' four check tonight. Mm-hmm. I, I noticed um, lots of strong cycling of the puck. I mean, Dreisaitl and Jujar Kara, you know, the Kings were kind of bouncing off them like they were hitting from T-Rex <laughs> to Triceratops. It was not... And then, like, there was other players, uh, Nigard, Sheehan, Haas, Chason, um, Patrick Russell, Granlund, Granlund, even, Granlund. He was really good on the on the forecheck. If Granlund keeps doing that, Bruce, he's going to make a lot of fans start to like his game. So I really liked that when they had it going. Mainly, it was m- most noticeable in the second period. Uh, but you know, that was one of the best forechecking efforts. And I think this is when the Oilers are at their best is when they're playing that game, especially against teams like the Kings where they, the, the demon have some struggles moving the puck. Uh, and if they can play that game against those teams, this is a difference between the team from last year compared to this year. They have the players this year who have the speed and aggression to get in there and win on the forecheck. And they didn't have those players last year. So um, it's one of the reasons that they're starting to win games like this. This, this again, had a feeling of a game they would have lost last year. Mm-hmm. And they won it. And they won it in kind of the solid effort we saw against the Vancouver Canucks on the on Sunday. Same kind of solid, really gritty team effort. And uh, I really like seeing it. Lose by one at even strength, score two on the power play to beat them by one. Same formula as Sunday night. Oh, is that right? Yeah. But, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's funny, you know, because all those guys that you mentioned, almost Negard, Shane, um, Russell, Granlund, Haas, all of them had zero shots on net. They did, eh? Yeah. Yeah, only Chase on of that bunch had, had <clears throat> uh, a couple shots, and I think they both came on the power play. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, they weren't generating shots, but they were generating some zone time. And there was one shift in the sec- second period where they had the puck in L.A. zone for a good, it seemed like a minute and 15 seconds, where they were yeah. just cycling, 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 and, and L.A. couldn't get out, and they were just winning race after race to the loose pucks and, and just cycling the boards, going round to the point, point to point, around the boards again, and just tiring out the Kings defenders in their end of the ice. And then they finally went off. And you know, one thing I noticed after that, uh, and something that's changed in hockey in this city, because I tell you back in the day, uh, when I was an uh, everyday season ticket holder, a line would have a shift like that, and when they did go to the bench, they get a huge ovation for their shift. And tonight it was just dead silence. I, I don't understand it. Like, I mean, do you have to score a goal to get a cheer now, or what? I mean, that was <laughs> they did everything right for a solid minute, and they worked their butt off. I mean, I don't know what what more you want as as. I mean, the fans, fans, I don't want to criticize the fans. It would be nice if they got into it a little bit more and just some of the flow of play, stuff like that. The line has a great shift. Cheer. So I wasn't hard. there, so I'm not going to comment on that because I wasn't there. And so maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. I mean, I don't think the call, I'm uh, like, I'm, I'm going to sound <laughs> like, I'm going to sound every one of my 57 years now, Bruce, and I'm going to say, I don't think the Coliseum has sounded the same and the Oilers hockey has been the same. Since they were in the Coliseum and before they put in those luxury boxes, which changed the feel of the arena, the kind of the um, common man feel of the arena, and also the acoustics of the arena were changed dramatically. That arena used to shake. It Mm -hmm. used to shake, literally shake, 
before they put in those luxury boxes. And that feeling ended to me. But anyway, that's all, mm-hmm. I'll, that's all I'm going to say about that. Your bad thing, Bruce. Oh, uh, yeah, my bad thing was uh, uh, in, the, in the third period protecting the lead. Uh, and the, the orders did, they did lots right, but they didn't really play the 200 foot game. And one of the reasons was they could never get the puck deep into uh, LA territory. You know, that's the old Smitty thing. You interview him and you say, you know, get pucks deep. And, and you know, it's a, it's an old, uh, old, oldie, but a goodie. Yeah. oldie, but a goodie, get yeah. pucks deep. But there was like the several times in a row where the Oilers came through the neutral zone fine, but they couldn't get the damn thing over the blue line. They the pass would get picked off, or the shoot in wouldn't go far enough, or somebody'd fumble it just as they were coming to the blue line. And so instead of making LA play the 200 foot game, they only had to play the 150 foot game, and they didn't have to defend very much either in the in stretches of that third period. And there was, I mean, the, the finish of the game was a lot more white knuckle than it needed to be. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to see them clamp down on that. I mean, they're, they're playing, uh, you know, let's face it, an inferior opponent that's that's lost now 10 road games in a row and scored only 13 goals. And the Oilers were just hanging on for dear life at the end, it seemed like. And it was it was uh, battles at the blue, both blue lines, really. And... And just possession battles. That, uh, I mean, Anzi Kopitar, I mean, that guy was all over the ice. And you got to give credit where it due. He's a fantastic player. Him and Doughty, I mean, between them, I don't know how many key pins they had, but it was a lot. It's too bad the Oilers. You know, it's it's with the salary structure of the way the NHL is now. You, you could see the Kings, like, in a rebuilding mode, trading one of those guys. But it doesn't make sense to trade for another team to trade for one of those guys and give up quite a bit because their their cap hit is so high. You just can't do it. You know, they're just double indemnity. Yeah. Um, my bad thing. I, I thought for the first 10 minutes of the third, the orders were actually pretty good. And then it kind of came apart in the, the play where it really started happening was, uh, I, I can't remember how it developed, except that Dreisaitl in the neutral zone, Dreisaitl, and, and I don't really fault him too much. He was just being overly aggressive on the play and he got way out of position in the neutral zone, got beat in the, the neutral goal? zone. Yeah, this is the goal. He got he tried, to, he tried to pass. He tried to make a like a one foot pass to Gagne, and they malfunctioned at the junction. This is one of the plays I was referring to where they couldn't get the yeah. puck deep. The simple play was just to wire it in behind quick. And but then, he, then on the check too, Bruce, he he was he was he went he got out of position, and then they got across the blue line. And who's open for the point shot? But Drysaddle's man essentially because he was high man out there. And um, point shot goes off the glove into the, you know, down on the ground and down on the ice and into the net. So Dreisaitl, he just was, he wasn't cautious or smart defensively on that play. And as you say, he didn't get the puck in deep. So um, I don't remember that part of the play, but I just, he just, you know, just, it was, it reminded me of a play a few weeks ago with McDavid, um, in the third period, not defending on a, on a rush down the, the wing um, that w- where he, he couldn't thwart the player coming in over the blue line. And these are two such fantastic hockey players, obviously, the, easily the two top attackers in the NHL right now, or the two top attackers. There's some other really good ones, Pasternak and, and McKinnon and others, but s- such fantastic offensive players. Generally speaking, decent defensive hockey players, sometimes really great defensive hockey players, but now and then in the third period. And again, we saw it, Bruce, in the last 
seconds of the game where McDavid and Drysaddle were out there and they they couldn't get the puck out. Nurse couldn't get the puck out. And another great A chance. So these these are such fantastic hockey players. It's almost like they have to do a little bit of rewiring still um, in terms of shutting it. Like when they go into shutdown defensive mode, they got to get that... Jacques Lemaire 1975 going on, you know, not the Jacques Lemaire 1969, but Lemaire, the defensive player who's, who becomes suddenly a maniac determined never to let a goal against in crunch time. Mm -hmm. That's what Drysdale and McDavid need and probably will get. Or they need to become Gretzky. uh, When the other, (laughs) when the other team pulls their goalie, say, great, fine score. Got it over with. That'd be good. Jesus, I can't believe how many, how many times I've had what seemed like a sure empty net goal, and one of those two guys has somehow messed it up. Like you think this is a gift now, right? Tonight it was five Dreisaitl. times this year, four times this year. Drysaddle yeah. had Archibald free for the walk in, and somehow I missed them with the pass. I mean, how many passes he miss in a game? Like one, you know, that one, <laughs> you know, and. Uh, Anyway, I mean, they've only got one empty net goal all year. That's why they got so many one-goal wins. Is that they can never, they can never get the, the, uh, you know, the uh, pressure reliever. Gretzky uh, never missed a chance, Bruce. How many empty net points did he get? 50, he had he had fifty empty net goals before the end of his career. He actually scored his fiftieth wow. empty net goal. Fifty empty net goals. And it's you like know what? One in fifteen, or like, what is that of his goals? Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's a substantial one in, percent. One in eighteen of his goals. Yeah. Uh, but more, more to the point, <clears throat> in those games, his team was fifty wins, zero losses. You know, they always won those games, <laughs> right? I mean, they put in, put the game away, and I'm sure there was a couple times where he made a mistake going for it, and they came back and put it in. But uh, you know, just just execute, execute. You know. You're, you're, you need your star players to execute, and and they had um, uh, well the play you mentioned with you know five seconds to go where both guys kind of missed it, uh, a key defensive read or, or play, and there was that one last chance and thankfully you know it didn't go in. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you hear that clicking in the background, but it's my son madly tapping away at his video game. So oh yeah, well for well, that isn't. So anyway, Leon, you mentioned Leon. Leon's now minus ten in his last ten games. Well, there you go. That's why I've, yeah, I've mentioned him a few up, times right? as my bad thing. They mentioned him as being uh, being agitated by it, but he needs to be agitated by it. He needs to start with a little bit of its decision-making and a little bit of its, you know, uh, some, of its, some of its luck, not getting the saves, you know, or whatever. But, but man, minus 10 in 10 games. Now, thankfully, he scored about 10 points on the power play in those games, but those are the guys that are supposed to put you ahead in the game or at least break even on the even strength part yeah you got to make something got to make some kind of blood oath not to make no more major defensive mistakes in the third period between Connor mcdavid and leon dry and the others then their playoff success is sealed um all right uh my number is going to be nine that the orders had 11 grade a chances Connor mcdavid made a major contribution to nine of them Wow. So Incredible. he is a fantastic hockey player. <laughs> yeah, he had a good game tonight, didn't he? He sure did. He was flying out there. Did you just get the one point? Did you get one point? Yeah. Let me see here. Oh, uh, yeah. Was, I got an assist. I'm always uh, so I got the assist on the oh, second yeah, part. Dreisaitl and Chason had two points each. 
Yeah, Chase Hall and, uh, had two. Neil had the other one point. Yeah. What a fantastic hockey player. He's just, when he, there's just, you know, we should relish these games. It's kind of hard to, because we're on the edge of our seats with, you know, this, this is whether they're going to win or lose and whether they're going to come together as a team or not. Like, these are all still open questions. And, you know, we don't have that comfort of, of cheering for a juggernaut um, yet. So, you know, the, the joy of McDavid on the team, I think, has been somewhat tarnished by that anxiety. But nonetheless, um, it's coming together. And in games like this where the Oilers are kind of finding a team game, um, finding more than more than they have since I can remember role players to play roles and are starting to relish those roles and succeed in those roles, um, it's easier to see you know, kind of on that background of competent background of competence. You know, the brilliance of McDavid stands out even more, I think, and can be appreciated. And you're not quite as I'm not quite as nervous about the game and I can just really relish how he does. So tonight was one of those nights. What a fantastic hockey player. Yeah, he's all of that. Skating real well these days. What is your number? Uh, well, I'm going to, it's, it's, it's a, a composite number, nine out of 26. This is the Oilers record of face-offs in the defensive zone. And first concern is 26 face-offs in their own end of the ice like they they iced the puck numerous times as i mentioned koskinen froze it a few times but they were trapped in their own end and not winning the draws i mean that's only 35 percent of the of the draws won so la established a lot of possession directly off the draw and edmonton spent a lot of time you know trying to keep the puck to the outside and generally succeeding but that's a big part of the reason la outshot edmonton so badly 36 to 20 um so, oh, that's what the shots were. That's yeah, interesting. 30, great yeah, the chances. scoring chances weren't, but the shot, yeah. the, the possession time, and the and uh, you know the the ice was generally tilted uh, towards uh, towards Edmonton's territory. And I'm feeling like this my my game day post today. I actually got one thing right because I mentioned how LA was, you know, getting outscored by a two to one margin on the road, even though they were generating the majority, 55 percent of the shots on the road that's a pretty good possession number 55 percent of course some of it was driven by the fact just like tonight they would be trailing in a lot of those games and trying to come back but that's what happened again tonight was la really did have the lion's share of the uh, of the shots and uh, especially at uh, at even strength so it was uh uh it was kind of a hang on harvey game for the oilers at home against uh, uh against a uh, bottom feeder so We'll take the two points. It kind of reminds me of the game they beat Detroit early in the season, 2-1. It was the same thing. They led 2-0 early, and then it was just hang on and grit out the, the the win rather than finding some way to put it away. And So anyway, yeah, you just uh, you do take the two points and, uh, and move on. I'm just getting that now. 28 shots at even strength to 15. So much the same. L.A. was, was really... Uh, getting the, the uh, significant majority of the shots. And uh, yeah. Koskinen, Koskinen was, uh, he was busy, even when he wasn't making great saves. Like, he didn't have a lot of time to relax out there. No, he did not. Yeah, Sh- Riley Shea five face-off wins, 13 face-off losses. Yeah. Okay. Most of that against Kopitar. So, yeah. uh, but I thought Riley Shea had a pretty good game, like, without the puck. 
he was defending well, but uh, I guess he had a lot of felt the puck a lot. Okay. Well, Bruce, the game grades are up, and I'm going to add this podcast to it right away. When's our next game? Our next game is two days from now. We're playing every even number date for the foreseeable right up to the 20th. So Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Monday. That go right on through to uh, uh, 20th and the 21st. They play back to back at home. Who are they playing Sunday? They are playing Buffalo. uh, And then they finish the homestand against Carolina. Those are two scary sounding games to me, Buffalo. Like, you know. Teams that both those teams have given Edmonton all kinds of trouble in this barn. Who, which teams haven't? Oh, so anyway, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Be nice to go on a little, another little winning streak here, wouldn't it? That'd be very, very sweet. But eighteen and thirteen, I'll take that. Well, That's eighteen wins, thirteen losses, um, five games above real five hundred. So way to go, Oilers! So far, way so to good. Go Oilers, yeah, we'll take the. Uh, Take the wins as they come, and uh, they, they're, uh, I mean, to uh, to put the silver lining on, tonight they won a game without Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Zach Cassian in the lineup, and those wins are never going to be easy. They got Hopefully we'll have those guys both back pretty soon, but uh, so far they missed the two of them for three games and managed somehow to win two of the three, so I guess that's, uh, that's uh, very much good news. Alrighty. Thanks for talking tonight, Bruce. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'd like to thank everyone for listening as well. You know, we've got, as I've said many times, we've got the wisest uh, fans in the world listening to this podcast. And it's a, it's a great deal of fun to uh, converse with them daily on Twitter and interact with them uh, in that way. And sure. in the meantime, and in between time, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.